we're inundated with performance-based sexuality. And, um, and so really starting to trust that a partner, a woman is going to actually be much more interested in pleasure-based sex rather than performance-based, or you can find a woman who is and cultivate that relationship so that um, neither of you is feeling pressure, but you get to actually find your way into more and more pleasure is, is probably the, the biggest part of all of it, because that's a, that's a big shift in our minds to a very different framework. We go really deep in this episode into what I'm calling your side of things. So when you're having sex with someone, there's sort of your side and then there's her side. And I just wanted to remind you all that in order to feel fully relaxed in a sexual situation, you kind of have to be relaxed on your side and you have to kind of know what's going on on her side or have a sense of that. And I just wanted to remind you that I offer a streaming course called Please Her in Bed, which is kind of all about her side. So again, this episode goes mostly into your side. If you are interested in knowing more about her side and all of the research that I've done on women and sex and them sort of describing what they really crave and desire, which I also think can be really encouraging and uplifting. And I think that a lot of men think they have to be perfect or that things all have to be a certain way. And it's really not true. And I think that the course has, many men have said that the course has kind of helped them relax and and kind of be able to be sexual without putting so much pressure on themselves. So if you are interested in that, I just wanted to remind you that that is there for you. It's at pleaseherinbed.com. And if you use the code dear men, all one word, dear men, the course is normally 97, but if you use that code, it's 69. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode. I am excited to have with me today two guests, a duo extraordinaire. Um, We have Alyssa Marine and Chris Muse, who are somatic sex educators and sexological body workers, also known as my heroes. So I know if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I'm pretty passionate about somatic therapy and overcoming trauma. And we're talking about sexuality and overcoming trauma today. So welcome to the podcast, ladies. Thanks. Thanks. It's good to be here. Yes. Thank you so much. Melanie, we are honored to be here. Glad. So yeah, I actually would love to hear a little bit from both of you about how you got into this work before we kind of delve into the, the whole topic. (laughs) I can start. Um, So really, it was an outgrowth of my own journey of wanting and needing to explore my sexuality and wanting support around that and then slowly accepting that I was going to be doing this as work in the world. It was not what I expected or anticipated. Um, but through slow introductions, um, into the realm of somatic work and then of hands-on work with sexuality, it just 
sort of became obvious that that's what I was going to be doing. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And for me, this is Chris, for me, it's been a, a lifelong passion, relationships, intimacy, sexuality, I was uh, sexually active quite young and it's just always been in my conversations with people in a very free and natural way. And then when I was actually exposed to sexological body work and thought that I was a pretty freely sexually expressed person and then realized when I'm on the tape, when I was on the table, when I was asked, being asked by the person who was serving me what I would want and to keep telling them and keep telling them, I was noticing that, oh my goodness, even I feel a little bit muzzled. Even I couldn't, I I was having a hard time coming forward and speaking up. And I was like, wow, well, now that I know that this work even exists <laughs> and I can see that I could use it, then probably it's going to be really, really valuable. And so it, um, and so I got into the work and it has been, been wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for speaking to that. I have had similar experiences of, wow, if, if I'm in this field or if I'm quote unquote advanced and it's hard for me to speak up about what I want or what I need, then I imagine how much harder it is for someone that doesn't have as much experience or isn't as kind of versed in the topic. And I, what jumped out at me from what you said, what, from what you said, Chris, was the, the vulnerability of being asked, what do you want? And I would really love to have one of you kind of unpack the term sexological body work because I think people don't really know what that is. They don't understand what it is. And I think one of the only contexts we have in our culture is sex work, meaning prostitution or what people think of as prostitution, which is not what sexological body work is. And in many ways, I think the image we jump straight to is someone's going to stick a finger up my fill in the blank. And it's like, that's also not what it is. <laughs> so maybe one of you could walk us through what is sexological body work. And, um, and then we'll kind of move on to the next thing, but what, what, what is it? So uh, sexological body work is a one-way touch modality. So the touch is always from the practitioner to the client and it is for the client's learning pleasure and healing. And so it winds up all, a lot of times to be at kind of this intersection of pleasure and trauma. And um, because it's a one-way touch modality, it can be really um, neutralizing for people who, who most of us are, when we're in a touch dynamic, it's a two-way touch dynamic and things go a lot faster than our nervous systems can handle. And so in sexological body work, we really slow everything way down and touch begins from the edges with full on communication and consent. We have to trust that the, the client has to trust that their, their needs are going to be heard and met. And the practitioner has to trust that the client can speak up and advocate for themselves. And so the work can go from these edges to very intimate spaces, including full and whole body touch, but it doesn't always go there. So that would be the, on top, Alyssa, do you have anything to add to that? Um, yeah, I think I would just add that it doesn't, well, sexological body work falls under the umbrella of somatic sex education, which we're both getting up to as well. And, um, sexological body work in some ways is really easy to talk about because it's pretty, it's, it has a clear, um, 
container, gloved one-way touch from practitioner to client for, as you said, for learning and growth and education. Um, Somatic sex education is so much bigger than that and um, is really where all of the work with consent and our nervous systems and learning what do I want? How do I actually understand that? How do I communicate it? How do I value what it is? All of that happens in that larger umbrella. Yeah, the sexological bodywork conversation, I think, you know, you mentioned starting at the edges and, and, and coming into more intimate spaces. One thing that I think might be helpful for people to know, for example, is it can be as little as I want you to just hold my feet or, you know, I want you to hold my hand or I want you to stroke my face or can you two give a little bit maybe a case study or just something that you've noticed as far as common things that people are asking for that people wouldn't necessarily expect. Because again, I think there's a perception. It's like we hear the word sex and all of a sudden we think genitals (laughs) and it's really, it's much bigger than that. And it's much, it's, it's different from just quote unquote, just that. Can you give a few examples of, of what, some of your sessions have been like in terms of where people are starting from? Yeah, I think most often with pretty much every single client I've worked with over the last six years is we start with touch that is truly just what I would call nourishing touch, touch that has no agenda at all. And is really just present to what is happening for that person in that moment. The kind of touch that we maybe received, should have received from our caregivers when we were babies. I mean, even still, we should be receiving that. But it's but it's rare to receive that as adults, for sure. And that's almost always where it starts. And does that sound like you know, can you hold my shoulder? Can you, you know, can you give a few examples of what people are actually asking for? And if they're not even able to ask for something where you go with them? Yeah. I mean, uh, will you play with my hair is so often one of them. Um, will you put a hand on my back, um, hand on my stomach? Um, sometimes just a hand on or near someone's genitals without arousal, but just presence is um, an interesting avenue as well. Um, And then getting to that, getting to knowing what, where to even start. I mean, it's for me, and I'll be curious, Muse, to hear what you have to say about this um, as well. It's, I don't, There's often a process of helping a client learn how to make really direct proclamations like that. Cause that for some people, it's really easy. Um, For others, it's nearly impossible, if not completely impossible. And so helping client, giving clients options. Would you like a hand on your chest just to see what it's like? And let's try that for a few seconds and then stop. And what do you notice? And so menuing options and and finding curiosity, wanting something can sometimes be hard to access. Curiosity can sometimes feel like a little bit less pressure 
Yeah. Anything to add to that, Muse? Well, um, you know, I I was going to speak to when they can't, when they can't choose and menuing options. And sometimes people are learning how to come back into contact with people. So a suggestion might be like, well, what if I put my foot out? And then if you felt ready for contact, you can put your foot out and meet mine. And we can do that even for 10 seconds and then notice what's happening. Or sometimes it's moving proximity. Like let's sit next to each other and, and just feel the heat from, from each other. I was doing one the other day that was a a back-to-back proximity. And then we were, then once our, our bodies made contact and this, this particular client had a resilience of about 10 seconds of contact when it was face-to-face and we spent minutes in a back-to-back situation and they said, oh, this is actually easier when I'm not looking at you, but I can feel you and here's what I'm feeling and here's what I'm noticing. And so a lot of what we're doing is not just touching, but then we're reporting on what we're noticing as we're touching. What is the impact of this touch and what is it now? And what is it now? And we just stay very present moment to moment to moment. And like I said before, slowing so far down that we get to really say, oh, wow, this is what this is what's happening in my system as a result of this thing. And this is a thing I can pay attention to, not just here, but outside from here. Because of course, what we're wanting to do is give people skills that they can take with them, which is why this is not sex work where we're having a peak experience with somebody that they get to take, they go, whoa, that was mind blowing. And then they go home and they're like, uh, what am I going to do with that? That is, that's just not what we offer because we want people to really be able to bring these skills back to their, to their lives. Yeah. Alyssa, there was something you said about the making declarative sentences or, you know, there's a lot of vulnerability, like I said, around wanting and stating what you want. And so I'm curious if sometimes people say things like, well, would you mind if, or like, would it be okay if, and I'm curious if part of what you're coaching them on is, you know, instead of saying, oh, well, like, if it's not too much trouble, maybe could you like, maybe like, I don't know, like maybe like touch my stomach to like, I would love for you to touch my stomach in like a light way with, you know, is that something that you're, that you find is frequent? Yeah, uh, absolutely. For all kinds of reasons. Um, and really I find that reflecting back to someone, just giving them language to use, you know, and, um, reflecting back to them, again and again, that I actually want to know what they want. And I'm not going to overstep my boundaries just because they want it doesn't mean I'm going to be a yes to it. Those two reminders, sometimes it's like over and over again, but eventually help people relax into trusting that they can say what they want. And I'm going to be with them no matter what they ask for. I think that's really important because in my experience, when I imagine a session and I imagine being on the table, part of what comes up for me is I want you to stroke my thigh is I'm afraid they're going to tell me I'm selfish. And that's obviously my stuff. I would imagine a lot of people have that one that feels common, but whether it's, I say what I want and the person ignores me. So for some people, the big fear is I'll say what I want and nothing will happen. 
Like not only will they not do what I want, but they'll leave the room or they just, they just, they'll reject me in some way or, you know, my fear of they'll shame me or they'll attack me or whatever it is. But I'm curious in, in this on this journey that people go on, do you ever, I imagine there are times when someone finally voices something that they want and then they just burst into tears or there's some emotional experience or, or, or release around actually saying what I want. Is that something that happens? All the time. Yeah. Oh, and tears too for getting what they want or for saying, oh my gosh, I never thought that I could ask for that thing. One of them being comfort while they were having tears, like physical touch comfort just happened a few weeks ago. Yeah. So that would be the person starts crying and then they say, would you stroke my hair while I'm crying? Or is that what you mean? That happened in this case. Yes. Yeah. We were, we were doing some touch. They started crying. I asked them, bring, bring me in. What would you like? How can I support you? How can I be here with you? And then they asked for that. And then in the reflection of it, yeah, they said, wow, I never realized. And I can't remember. I don't think that I got that kind of touch while I was a child when I was crying. This is what, this was the response that came back to me, you know, buck up buttercup kind of stuff or whatever, whatever it would be. Some people have been lacking touch, lacking what Lelissa was saying, that nurturing, nourishing touch their whole lives. So coming and, and receiving that can be just such a healing balm in itself. I'll add too that sometimes tears happen seemingly randomly during sessions. It's like, it's not necessarily connected specifically to a particular action, like asking for what you want or receiving it. It's, it's more just like an upwelling of sometimes gratitude, sometimes grief for how many times this hasn't happened and just the whole mixture of what it's like to be human and to actually be in our bodies and feel our experience. And to be in the presence of an attuned human being who cares about your experience. I know a lot of our clients grew up in homes where they were neglected and I'm not talking about physical neglect, although that that has happened, right? Of let's say latchkey kids who just, there was no parent around a lot of the time, a lot of the time, um, or just the parents were physically there, but they weren't attuned. They weren't really paying close attention. They weren't really with the child or children. And there's a strange sense of separation and, it's hard to describe, but a certain distance. And, you know, a lot of these clients that in my experience have had trouble connecting, you know, I work primarily with cisgender heterosexual men. So men who have sex with women, and there's a certain distance from what they want in intimacy. And when I say the word intimacy, I don't just mean sex, but sex, closeness, warmth, just closeness really. And, And so they want it but it's elusive. It's like, I want it, but it's not here. And I don't know how to get it. Do you work with clients like that? Of all genders? Yes. <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Cause you that, know, Mel- oh, 
I was just going to say there was something that you had said before about why people might not ask for touch and, and selfish came, came was a word that you mentioned. And I just, I feel like I don't want that moment to go by without acknowledging that for us to be intact with our desires and also our boundaries, what we would like more of, what we wouldn't like, what we'd prefer to do another time or never at all. It's rather than a selfish act, we can actually change the frame and see it as a generous act. Because when we know our shape and we know where we are wanting to lean into and where we are not, we can be generous with others and and be curious about that for them. And so when nobody's talking about what they want and everybody's going off of assumptions, whether it's touching you, how I like to be touched, but not even knowing if you like that, or if it's touching you based on how, what I saw in a movie or a porn or what my ex-partner liked or whatever, that actually is, is a much less intimate act than it, and then actually knowing ourselves and sh- being willing to share that. I really think that it's generous. So I wanted to just like punctuate that because I feel passionate about that point. So I wanted to say it. Yes. Thank you for speaking to that. And I think that's, I think that's a good example of, you know, the word slowing down has come up in this conversation a few times. And I, I think that that is part of what we need to heal, meaning it actually takes slowing down in order to recognize what's happening. When we're going really fast, we won't even notice. I didn't ask for what I wanted because I was afraid I would be labeled selfish. We just don't ask for what we want, right? We just, if we never, if we never slow down, then we never witness our own patterns and having another person there in the room who is slow and is holding a steady nervous system that cares and can hold that pace is part of what can help because that moment, you know, that you described of just the welling up of emotion that happens seemingly randomly, it feels like when a nervous system is slowing down enough to actually feel what's there and have it be witnessed. So there's something sacred about not just the act of, of it coming up, but it's being witnessed by someone who actually cares and is slow enough to be with that moment rather than like you said, news of buck up, you know, it's okay. Don't cry. Like all of the kind of noise that comes in really fast. I think for a lot of children, you know, young children, rather than that, just someone who's holding the space, just holding the space and is there for whatever comes up and is able to attune to, is there anything you're needing to feel supported, you know, which is a very different response than grow grow up or don't feel that, or don't cry, or we don't do that in this house or whatever response people got, or just no one was there. Just no one was there. There was just no one there with that child. So I think that the speed, you know, the slowing down and actually being able to kind of be with the experience is part of the healing and part of that um, ability to even say, oh, I'm realizing I don't want to tell you what I want because I think you're going to think it's selfish. 
right? That, that just the awareness of that, it's like, because it's slow, you know, someone's having her trouble articulating what they want. You say, you know, is there something going on or what's happening there? And they say, I'm afraid you're going to tell me I'm selfish. I, I don't want to tell you what I want because I'm afraid you're going to tell me I'm selfish. And it's like, okay, this is where we're going. <laughs> this is this is the session, right? It's like this is this is what we're we're doing here. It's not. It doesn't. It's not supposed to look a certain way or be a certain way. Whatever's coming up is 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 the truth. So I'm wondering, you know, in your collective experience, especially working with men, have you noticed any patterns around their kind of their nervous system patterning around asking for what they want or articulating that? Well, I don't know if this directly answers your question, but one thing that I notice is that so many men, at least the men that find their way to me are far more sensitive than they realize. And then the world has allowed them to be. And, you know, that sensitivity shows up as like erectile dysfunction, premature ejaculation, all kinds of things, just the the incredible nervousness, anxiety that can show up around sexuality, intimacy, relationships, all of it in general. And, um, and when they get to you know, they think that they need a solution for the presenting problem. But then when we actually just slow down and they get to hear what's running in their minds as they're moving towards arousal or as arousal is happening, or just when they're being touched, what they think is the problem slowly starts to unravel a lot of the time because they're actually getting to slow down enough to be with the experience that's happening and unwind it and then move into something else or advocate for themselves or, you know, choose your own adventure. There's so many ways this can go, but, but that's a big pattern that I see with a lot of men. Can you, I want to hear from you Muse too, but I want to stay on this for a moment because I can't tell you the number of men that I work with, with exactly that those kinds of patterns. So erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or delayed ejaculation. That's another one that I see a lot. And I'm curious, do you have any kind of examples of, you know, a man that you worked with where he came in and I would assume that he came in kind of saying like, this is what I'm working on. (laughs) Like I can't get it up with a real woman, right? I can get it up when I'm watching porn. I can't get it up with a real woman or I can't, or I, or I have premature ejaculation. I hear this from men all the time and it's stopping me from dating, right? I'm not really dating. I'm not going after what I want or the women I want because I don't feel like I'm going to be able to please them in bed. I don't feel like I'm going to be able to go all the way and have it work for them. You know, do you have any examples of that? And then doing some sessions. And when you're talking about the unwinding, has there been content around that or just the nervous system unwinding? And then what happened? Were they able to kind of move through it? So it's a combo. I mean, there is some nervous system unwinding that I feel like um, is related to the general trauma of growing up in our culture. And I'll just speak specifically around sex where there's these really clear scripts and expectations of how sex is supposed to look and how it's supposed to happen. 
and it's a lot of pressure and, um, most people's bodies, regardless of sex or gender, doesn't map up to those expectations, which creates this incredibly painful, shame-filled feedback loop for a lot of people that actually loads up physiologically as trauma in the nervous system. And then it gets harder and harder and harder to um, either get aroused or orgasms happen faster and faster, or they don't happen at all, leads to all of those different sorts of things. And, um, so there's that piece. I just lost my train of thought. So I'm going to find my way back to it. Well, that was great though, because I think, I think that's a great example of something I've heard from a lot of men, which is, I don't understand how I got here. My childhood was fine. (laughs) So sort of like, I don't, I don't know why I, you know, I listen to the things about trauma and I feel like it fits, but I don't really know why it doesn't make sense to me, but I really love what you just said, which is even just having the expectation of I'm a man, I, I watch porn and I see these guys with bigger cocks than me who are hard all the time. And I feel like I have to be able to do that. And I, that's not really how my body works. So I'm constantly worried about disappointing a woman. And so just, there's so much, um, tension around that, that, you know, to your point, it actually does load up in the nervous system as trauma because that, that, that tension of, of trying to, I'm going to use the word perform. I don't really love that word, but I think it's pretty apt in this circumstance of feeling like you have to perform a certain way is really stressful. And, and that over time kind of calcifies, (laughs) it sounds like. And I really appreciated what you said about sensitivity because I would say a lot of the men that I work with are quite sensitive and arguably most human beings are actually sensitive and more sensitive than we think. And a lot of the men I've worked with have been shamed for their sensitivity. So they've had to put up barriers or walls or kind of hardness around it because they are trying to be men, right? They're trying to do the patriarchy thing of like, I'm a man, I'm a real man. I'm, I'm, I'm worthwhile as a, as a man because of fill in the blank, that's not totally healthy. So in terms of your experience, Alyssa, and I do want to hear from you news about this as well. You were talking about men that you have worked with, with erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation. And when you worked with them, there's some unwinding of the nervous system, but is there anything else that has gotten them to the other side? Yeah. So getting to have experiences with me in a hands-on way where their arousal is welcome, but there's zero expectation so that they get to see what actually happens with their arousal on its own, which it's pretty normal. This is so with, this is with erectile dysfunction specifically, it's pretty normal for it to wax and wane excitement and enjoyment, excitement and enjoyment. Um, And so just getting to feel that and how it happens is really helpful and getting to learn what has them feel safe enough to relax into their experience. And that's often what is behind premature ejaculation is there's this like, I'm nervous, I'm scared. Let me just like get in and get out. You know, the body is saying that in some way. And so 
finding what's, what do you need to feel safe enough to slow down? Cause there's, you feel a lot more when you slow down and that can be really fun and it can be really terrifying. And so, um, those two things are really helpful. And then, and then also, um, coming to feel the power of pleasure-based rather than performance-based sex, where this is like a whole paradigm shift that takes a long time to really settle in because we get so we're inundated with performance-based sexuality. And, um, and so really starting to trust that a partner, a woman is going to actually be much more interested in pleasure-based sex rather than performance-based, or you can find a woman who is and cultivate that relationship so that um, neither of you is feeling pressure, but you get to actually find your way into more and more pleasure is, is probably the, the biggest part of all of it, because that's a, that's a big shift in our minds to a very different framework. How about you, Muse? I think Alyssa, you gave such a brilliant and complete answer. So there's just a few things that I might want to add here, which is to start them off as if they're, if they're with us, if they're with me and Alyssa, you, you were saying a thing that really kind of reminded me that we're doing similar work here is to embrace where they're at. We have to love ourselves whatever part, whatever step of the path we're on, not that we have to accept, oh, this is me now and I'm done growing, or this is my body from here on out, but this is my body right now. And it may or may not change, but how can I not only accept it, but then from here, define intimacy, define sex for myself, not because not from the outside in, but from the inside out, or if they're partnered people together with their partner, they get to co-create or collaborate. And, you know, penis and vagina sex is like, for whatever reason, it's, well, we kind of know why that's what we've been fed, that that is sex, but that's one aspect of sex. And there, and it's, there's so much more available that you don't need a hard cock for. So also expanding their map, expanding the worldview around it. And also, Alyssa, you mentioned the excitement enjoyment cycles, and that's where we could get to feel a lot of pleasure. Things are amplifying, things are are getting faster and, and more exciting or more sensation. And then all of a sudden it kind of drops off and we're not so sure. And I think that's when a lot of people get tense, they get in their heads, they throw in the towel all the worries come, but we re-educate people to understand that, oh no, you're actually flipping into, you could be flipping into an enjoyment part of the cycle, which is the parasympathetic part of the nervous system coming on for a relaxing and enjoying and time to maybe have some eye gazing or some nuzzling or some pulling back from the intensity that was happening to actually enjoy the connection and then finding that wave again when the excitement wants to come back on. So there's a lot of re-education and people will come to us with like, okay, I need some, I need some tools for my bag of tricks because you know, here's what my penis is doing and I need to, you know, get my lover. Like I I need to satisfy my lover. And whenever someone says that they need tricks or tools or five steps or whatever, it's like, um, that's actually not what we're going to do here. There is some things we can definitely work with breath. We can also work with our understandings, our frameworks about things to, to reframe, but, um, but it is so much about 
the acceptance piece. And then coming through that, then they hopefully are more willing to actually communicate with their partners and front load the communication with their partners. Like this may happen. My body responds like this sometimes and what we can experiment with what to do there, or this is what I have found works. And so they're opening up a dialogue before they're in that high pressure moment where they can really just get wrapped around their own axle. And then everyone's, nobody's having fun anymore. I think that's a great point about, you know, the, the natural cycle of a sexual encounter and men are actually not sort of in real life going to be hard for hours. That's not a, that's not a thing. And the, the waxing and waning is actually natural. And I, I interviewed a porn director for my podcast not long ago. And she said, 100% of male bodied porn performers are now taking Viagra or uh, generic version. She said all of them, not some of them, not some of them, some of the time, all of them. And I'm talking about professionals. I'm not talking about, you know, amateurs, but that really caught my attention because it's a little bit like women judging their um, standard beauty based on airbrushed models. Like they're not real. They're actually not real, but we're still judging ourselves by that standard. It's a little bit how I would say male-bodied people are judging their own sexual performance or whatever on porn. It's like, it's really not real. (laughs) It's really, really not real. So that's not the model that we want. And, And I think that's just a great example of enjoyment, you know, enjoyment, excitement, enjoyment, excitement. There's a, there's a flow, right? Like many things in nature, there's a flow and that's not widely understood. So um, I have one more sort of question in this vein. And then I'd love to hear a little bit more about somatic sex education, because it's kind of, it sounds like part of what this is. Um, And, but before we do that, I'm just wondering, you know, in terms of most of the men that I work with have a significant amount of sexual shame. Most of the men that I work with have some form of like my sex drive is too much, or I'm supposed to be a certain way and I'm not, or I don't ever want to objectify a woman. So I don't really ever ask anyone out because I don't want to be that guy. Um, And underneath that is shame around wanting sex or wanting to be sexual or, you know, just, that drive has been demonized. And so I'm wondering in your work, you know, we talked about just crying or like emotional release, just spontaneously coming up during a session. And I'm just curious for your male bodied clientele, have you noticed that your acceptance of their arousal? So either they're getting hard or they're getting excited or, you know, or they're like, I want you to touch my cock. And then they like cry you know, is there, do do you find that there's emotional release for them around just even saying something like that, that then they like their nervous system is, has a big release because they can't believe they just said that. It definitely happens. And, and part of what we're doing is because you mentioned before, we were highly attuning to these people when we're with them in our offices, or we also work on zoom. And so, and touch work doesn't obviously happen on zoom, but um, different branches of our work do um, that, that we're there to notice like, Hey, what just happened there? And to ask, Oh, I noticed something. Can you bring me in on what you're experiencing right now? And that, that gets 
to some of the deeper cuts that aren't coming forward uh, verbally right away. But that too can bring another layer of tears or recognition like, oh my gosh, I'm being seen here. I am being so attuned here. So yes. And we, because we continue to ask them to bring us into our experiences and also notice things that aren't being said or notice things that are being said and deepening and deepening, it, it does become a process where there is then, then they're telling more like, oh, I just, I asked for that. And I just felt a flush through my body or it felt really relieving to hear that, or I'm really scared, or I was able to feel pleasure for a minute, but now I'm like way back up in my head again. So then we just pause, you know, we stop because nothing needs to happen. As Alyssa said, we're agendaless. So we're not trying to get anywhere. We're trying to continue to be right here and let the moment inform what happens next. I don't know if I exactly answered your question today. That was perfect. That's perfect. <laughs> Anything to add, Alyssa? Um, there's so much, I mean, because we're slowing everything down, sometimes one of the most poignant and powerful experiences can be when a man is taking his clothes off because we, I, I don't know what you do muse, but I always give people a choice, but I, but I'll, I'll, one of the choices is for me to stay in the room while they're undressing to get on the table and to even slow that down and see what it's like to take your clothes off and to not be rushing into whatever is coming next, but to just sit with what is it like to actually be seen by this person who's clothed, who's not in the same vulnerable state as I am in. And, um, you know, with shame, especially my, my, feelings on shame are that it, it can't survive in connection in community when it's known, when it's spoken to, when it's given a voice, it has this tendency to evaporate and it doesn't just disappear. You know, sometimes we have to work with something over and over again, or something else just gets louder than the shame. But, but these moments of really you know, sitting with someone and, and they're standing there like, wow, I don't have my clothes on. It's like, yeah, what is that like for you? And they get to, you know, name like, well, it feels really scary. And I'm sort of feeling turned on and all of these things are happening. And to just be witnessed in that without expectation can do a lot of good. It's just such a good example of the unique nature of this dynamic too, to your point, because often when we come together as human beings in a sexual context, we're both bringing a lot and there's not that slowing down of I'm just here for you, <laughs> right? I I'm here for you. And there, and so all that pressure is there's just, it's not the same context. And that's such a good example of, you know, th this man is here for sexual healing, essentially he's, he's here for healing. And, so, and that's, so he doesn't need to try to impress you. <laughs> I mean, he might have those desires and everything. I'm not saying that's not in the room, but just the context is so different than he's trying to come across a certain way because he has a crush on you and he really wants this to go somewhere else. There's just so much other stuff going on versus the context is very clear. This is 
We're here for healing. Whatever is coming up for you is going to be witnessed. And it's separate from, you know, your relationship life, right? It's, this is, it's just a different, a different context. And yeah, the vulnerability of being seen and just allowing, allowing yourself to actually be seen is, you know, to your point, a lot of us will rush that step or have sex in the dark or do, you know, do whatever we can to kind of skip, (laughs) skip the part about being seen in our, you know, in a, in a vulnerable way. Um, so in terms of, you know, the, the next phase of things, I guess I'm wondering if both of you can speak a little bit to, let's say there are men or male-bodied people coming to you with a certain kind of, I'm looking for this, right? Like I currently have premature ejaculation. I would like to not (laughs) have that happen. Do you find your clients do end up succeeding in their quote-unquote goals I know it's not, you know, sometimes their goals might be, uh, you know, tips and tricks to please my lover. And that's not necessarily going to be exactly what's going to happen, but there's a, you're kind of getting at the very root foundation of everything in this work. So then do you see, are they getting results? I guess that's the question. Well, go ahead, Muse. Okay. (laughs) Um, change pretty much always happens. If someone is showing up and leaning in, things shift and change. And, um, you know, the direction or the results, the way that change looks is sometimes quite different from what, um, what a client comes in looking for. Um, but I would say always this, God, I never make vast generalizations like that, but people always tend to leave with more of themselves and more, um, options for satisfaction and, um, connection. And that tends to be far more interesting than what they thought they were coming in for. Brilliant. Yes. So thank you. Yeah. I would, I would be saying that things along those exact same lines, but I don't know if I would have said it as well as you did. So I'm glad you answered. And I'll, I'll just add people. I always feel like I send people away with some resources. I won't call them tools and tricks, but with resources to help them in navigating their own bodies in navigating their relationships, their nervous systems, all of that. So it's, it, there are specific actionable tools, resources that, that people walk away with as well. Including, I would imagine if you're contending with premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction or something is ways to calm your nervous system and soothe yourself essentially. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Definitely. All the other noise gets taken down and then you're able to do things you want to do. Right. And it might not look exactly the way that you thought it would, but it's going to be better than it was by a lot. Um, I, I know we're sort of approaching the end, but I do want to explicitly touch on 
survivors of sexual trauma. So childhood sexual abuse, I would say a good percentage of our clients are survivors of sexual trauma and, or, or just unwanted sexual touch, meaning many of my clients, as well as people I used to work with, it was a cousin or an older teenager when they were 12 or, um, a family friend or something. It's not always, you know, like the guy in the van, like it's usually not the guy in the van. It's usually what I just, what I just said, which is sort of, you were 12, they were 15. You, it was not wanted. It was not comfortable. You didn't know how to interpret it. You know, I've had men who have had unwanted sexual touch from other boys, older boys or, or men, and they don't know where to put that. Am I gay? Am I bi? Is this part of, you know, they just don't know what to do with it. Um, and it can, and does, it can affect their sex life later on and be pretty confusing. So I'm just curious if you, you know, when you're working with those folks, would you say that most of them already know that that's part of their history? Does it sort of surface in your sessions? And, you know, how does that impact the work, if at all? Because I would imagine it's just honestly part of <laughs> part of all the work we're talking about. Well, it seems like everybody who walks into our office has some level of trauma. Some of it is cultural trauma, religious trauma, upbringing, like not necessarily assault, physically assaultive, but holding that, holding that as part of what, of the atmosphere that we're living in here is um, really has us again, going slow and asking a lot of questions. And so when somebody has really been like in, in that touch violated way, it becomes ever more important that they, that they are in control, that they have their hands on the wheel. And also that um, there's a, something that happens with the with the attunement when their hands are on the wheel and and they're feeling the attunement. So often people are saying things that they've never been able to give voice to before. So for me, I think that to answer your question is yes, things get revealed that may not have been conscious or may have been stuffed so deep in the places of shame that um, us getting to know the contours of their of their whole makeup of their insides and, and what's stirring in them can help to bring out more of that um, and help people sort of realize, uh, you know, um, I think earlier Melanie said, Oh, I thought I had a great, great upbringing, a great childhood, you know, and seeing the holes of like, Oh, I was missed here. So it wasn't, it's not necessarily that like all of a sudden someone has a, a memory of, of a repressed memory, that kind of thing. I don't actually think has happened to me on the table. No, but, um, but having realizations, having puzzle pieces click together, making linkages, like going over timelines that then realize, oh, pattern, this isn't just a one-time thing or this, this, this originated way further back than I thought. Those kinds of revealings happen all the time. A couple of things to add. One is you, I mean, sometimes people know, sometimes people don't know that they have sexual trauma and it starts to show up or you've spoken to some of your clients having this experience, Melanie, of like all of, like, I have all of the signs and symptoms, but I don't know of anything happening. And there can sometimes be fear. Like, what am I going to find out about myself and, or about my past? And there can be 
so much relief in just knowing you don't have to know, you might not ever know, but you don't, you can work with what's happening without ever knowing what happened. And so much of it, I mean, I've learned, I can't find the exact source of this information, but siblings of kids who were sexually abused show the same signs and symptoms of the kids who were abused, even if they weren't or didn't know about it happening. And so with that in the mix, like all of us are going to be showing signs and symptoms of sexual abuse. So there's that that feels really important. And this feels maybe controversial to throw out there, but um, circumcision is such a big thing that so many men, especially in the United States, still have experienced and gone through. And I've had many clients who they're like, we don't I don't know what hat, like something, you know, I feel disconnected. I feel shame. I feel pain of whatever it is. And we get in there and make contact. And there's just this real recognition of the trauma that that was that never got to be recognized. That's just sort of normalized still as this, you know, not a big deal thing. And, and it can be so, um, relieving to, start to acknowledge that for the trauma that it actually was, regardless of what your mind thinks about it, your body is likely storing something about that. I think that's a great example of The Body Keeps the Score, which is a well-known book I'm sure many people will be familiar with, but just exactly what you said of a thing can happen to us physically. A surgery is another example of we know it's for our best we know it's going to do us good in the long term we know blah 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 we know all the things it is still traumatic for our bodies it is a trauma to have to be cut into our our physical being and the body doesn't care <laughs> if you know there's there's a certain amount of a processing right it, it, that's the thing is i have worked with people with trauma of all kinds, including, I mean, intense stuff. And if you work with it, things get better, right? The human body mind, the human body mind is incredibly resilient when you're taking the right steps and you are slowing down and you're getting the right help and you're working with it. There's almost nothing that can be overcome. It's when we're not working with it and we're kind of stuck in these rigid roles or ideas or having to be a certain way, or, you know, that's when it just keeps going and can get, can get worse over time because holding, carrying and holding all that tension over time does lead to disease. It does because you're, you're, you're physically, you know, we've all seen kind of old people that are stooped right in a way. And I think that there's a lot of just, they're, they're holding so much and they've been holding so much for so long that it does affect them and it can kind of worsen over time. But there's so much that can be done. And, you know, transformation is more than possible. I mean, that's what you're sort of both pointing to of, you know, Alyssa, you said it best of there's always change, right? It might not be exactly the way you thought it was going to look like I came in and I wanted it to be this way and it might not be that way. But there might be this whole other avenue you never thought of, you know, around like your 
partners, you know, connecting with oral sex or something else that you're like, this is amazing. I mean, this is mind blowing and like even better than what I thought I was going to be doing, but there's always change. So that to me, that's what's exciting about growth is it might not look the way you thought it was going to look, but it's still exciting. And it's still, it's still kind of mind blowing. You're still like, Whoa, did you see that? Like, that's amazing. And and it's unpredictable. You can't predict, you can't predict it, which is part of why it's fun. So as we, yeah, as we wrap here, (laughs) we really didn't get to somatic sex education, but I I do want to hear a little bit about it. If either of you can stay a few minutes and just explain what is that, you know, how can people get involved? What does it look like? You know, what is somatic sex education? I mean, it's really all of what we're talking about falls under the umbrella of somatic sex education. So it's learning, uh, learning about your body, your anatomy of arousal, all the kinds of different things you can do with it and explore with it and how to relate with yourself in that space, as well as working with trauma, working with your nervous system, working with your parts, parts of your, you know, psyche. Um, and I don't know, Muse, what do you want to add? And maybe you could also segue into how people can learn more. Cause I mean, that's what your whole Institute is about and we don't have all the time to delve into it, but I'm sure people are going to be interested. So kind of like, what is it, what would you like to add and where can they mm-hmm. find out more that mm-hmm. you would recommend? Yeah. So the, the thing that I would add is that, um, you know, Soma is, and you mentioned the body mind, the body mind and its wholeness, right. And so our culture is so very much top down. Our brain tells our body what to do. Our brain tells our body what to do. And so with somatic sex education, aside from the things that Alyssa was speaking to general education, education about sex, education about relationships, education about how to do intimacy, communicating well. It's also this way to, for us to come home to this essence, this body, this from our neck down, all of the information that's coming at to us from the bottom up and creating feedback loops so that our, our brains, our minds, our thinking minds, and our bodies can start to be in more cohesion and unity. And we're making decisions from all of our places and parts. So it's coming back home to the fullness of our essential nature and our erotic nature. And so you can find more about us on our individual websites, I would say, is the Institute for Erotic Intelligence is really for practitioners. And we have courses specifically designed for practitioners. So um, so I would just say our websites would be the places to go to find out about how we do somatic sex education, which is fairly similar to each other, but we also are distinct. And then it's a burgeoning field that has a lot, it doesn't have um, an exact kind of code that you would that you would have if you're going to be an MD or something. So people practice it in all kinds of different ways. So practitioners out there, there's, they're all over the world. There's still not that many. So we're not that easy to find, but we are findable um, in many locales in the United States and around the world. And then surely on zoom. Yeah. And just for my own edification, it's 2022. My understanding was that sexological body work was only legal in the state of California in the United States. Has that shifted? Do you see that shifting? What's the landscape like for that particular modality? (laughs) I mean, it sort of, we sort of fall into a gray zone. Okay. Of, um, there's some states 
I don't know the specifics, but there's some states where it's far more risky to be practicing. Colorado being fairly libertarian, we fall into a gray zone where, you know, we're we're offering touch for education, not for sexual gratification. Got it. Um, and so there's a gray zone. Um and there's practitioners I would be willing to bet in pretty much every state of the country. And, um, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 it reminds me of psychedelic assisted therapy, psychedelic assisted guiding, which is only legal in certain places around this country. I'm thinking of just North America in general and the West but if you know the right people to ask, there are usually people in your area. I'm just thinking about access because I have listeners from all over the world. And if you are interested in this, it's possible there are folks in your area and yeah. you'll have to, yeah. There's a, there's a directory of some practitioners, sexologicalbodyworkers.org, I think. Um, is I will look into that and put it in the show notes. Great. Yes. And then... You mentioned uh, your website's news. I will also drop those into the show notes. And the, you know, Institute for Erotic Intelligence is also there for your perusal. If you're great. And also for partners, so for women, we have a, a program called the Verdant Collective mm-hmm. um, based on all of what we're talking about as well. Great. That's actually really helpful. Yeah. And I know that, you know, um, a number of you listening will have partners or former partners that are survivors of sexual trauma and have been perhaps looking for a way to address that. And this can be a safe way to address that. So just a plug for that. And um, anything else to add before we wrap? It's been a fun conversation, Melanie. Thank you. Yeah, really good to talk with you. Yeah. Good, I'm glad.